comes above the den It's hard to know if this will Welcome to episode 395 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Catonsville, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus. I will be joined shortly from Las Vegas, Nevada by Carlos Welch and by our guest, Jamie Kerstetter. It's hard to imagine there are many people in poker who need less of an introduction than Jamie Kerstetter at this point, probably one of the most prominent figures in the poker world. Uh, but for those who don't know, Jamie is a longtime professional poker player, actually was a lawyer before that. Uh, you've likely heard her commentary for the uh, World Poker Tour or for the World Series of Poker, where she has uh, joined Lon and Norm on the... Uh, broadcast on, on ESPN and later on CBS. Uh, she's also done work for PokerGo, and she is the creative producer at WPT Global, and we will talk about what exactly that means in some detail with her. Uh, Jamie is also a longtime friend of the show. She was first on episode 136 back in 2015 and was later on episode 196 in 2016. So I'm proud to say that we knew her before she was as famous. She was already famous then. Uh, so great conversation with Jamie. She's awesome, of course, and um, I think you will enjoy that. I owe you a proper strategy segment. Um, you're going to get half of one. <laughs> um, the good news is I've been lining up a lot of interviews. I have a few in the books already. I have a few other people that we're really excited to talk to that uh, we, we are planning interviews with. So it uh, looks like we're going to be able to put the show out a little bit more uh, regularly than we've been doing. Um, but th those interviews are taking up a lot of time. So I'm going to uh, give you just kind of a strategy monologue <laughs> right now. And this is going to be based on a piece that I wrote wrote for our sponsor, GTO Wizard. Uh, you can find this. This piece is available for free at blog.gtowizard.com slash principles of turn strategy. And there's lots of good stuff on that site, blog.gtowizard.com, all of it free. Uh, you can read articles by me and by uh, some of our past guests, um, including most recently, Tom uh, Tombos, uh, who, who was on episode 393. Uh, and if it's not there already, I think there will soon be some material from uh, Matt Hunt and also from Christopher George, who have been on this podcast over the years. So lots of uh, good stuff. That's all available for free. And then, of course, there's a lot of other good stuff available from uh, gtowizard.com. And you can get access to uh, all the features on, on GTO Wizard for free, uh, should you be fortunate enough to win one of our giveaways that we have for our supporters on Patreon. So if you sign up for patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily, you will not only get access to daily strategy segments from Carlos and me, you'll also be entered into a drawing to win a free one-month starter subscription to GTO Wizard. So principles of turn strategy, what is it that makes the turn different from the flop or the river? Or pre-flop, I guess, but um, that's maybe a little bit more obvious. 
so the the big difference between the flop and the turn is that the number of betting streets remaining has been cut in half. So on the flop, there are still there are still two streets remaining. There are still two new cards that are going to come, and consequently, there is just a lot more that can happen after the flop. There are a lot more ways that hands can change value, and because of the additional betting opportunities, there are more ways for um, you know if, if if you do something on the flop that is a little bit not fully aligned with with what your hands incentives are. In other words, if you check or you make a small bet with, with a very strong hand, there are opportunities to make up for that later. You know, you're still going to have several betting streets where you can put a lot more money in. And so it's sometimes a little bit safer on the flop to do something that's a little bit tricky. As we get closer to the showdown and as the pot gets larger, both of which, you know, those things are are generally happening by the time that we reach the turn, it is more correct to play your hand kind of straightforwardly in accordance with its incentives. And when I say straightforwardly, I don't just mean like bet strong hands and check weak hands. I mean that really, you know, strong hands and weak hands are both the hands that, that benefit from betting. And it, it's often medium hands that have the most incentive to check. And when we're on the flop, um, medium hands are a little bit more torn. You know, often when you're on the flop, like you, you do want to get some protection for, for your marginal hands. If you can get away with like making a small bet and cause your opponent to fold uh, a, a one or two live cards uh, where, where they could you know, potentially win the pot by just hitting a single card and there's still two streets to come, that's pretty valuable. When we get to the turn, um, betting for protection it becomes much less of a thing, um, especially if you've already bet the flop. You know, you've already given your opponent a chance to fold some of those hands that you are trying to cause to fold. And it's not usually possible or desirable to put as much money into the pot as you have to with that kind of hand in order to protect against the really strong draws. Like when I talk about protection, I'm not talking about protecting against a flush draw or an open-ended straight draw. I'm talking about protecting against like potentially live overcards, set draws, gut shots. Those are the kinds of hands that you can actually cause your opponent to fold without putting a whole lot of money in the pot, which is what you want to accomplish when when you have a marginal hand. So on the flop, there's more room to, to do that kind of thing. On the flop, there are more um, reasons why you might just make a small bet when you have a very strong hand because you can make up the difference later. There are also reasons on the flop why you might make a small bet with a medium strength hand uh, looking to get some protection. And then as you move into the turn and the hand values are starting to get more set, there's only one card to come now. So it's less likely, like if you have a strong hand, it's uh, more likely that your hand will continue to be strong and continue to be the best hand on the river. If you don't already have a strong hand, it's a lot less likely that you're going to improve. And so you have more incentive to um, maybe attempt a, a big bluff or give up uh, to do one of those two things, but not to you know, make a small bet that, that's not very likely to cause folds. And what all this is leaning towards is that... Um, Often, especially if you've already bet the flop, you're going to bet the turn a good deal less often. Like it's fairly common that you'll see a solver using having something like a 100% continuation bet frequency on the flop, just kind of betting everything or nearly everything. But then following that up with a very low betting free or not very, but a relatively low betting frequency on the turn, like 30 to 40 percent. So after betting 100% of hands on the flop, usually for a small size. You'll then see on, I mean, it depends on the turn texture, but on many turns, you'll see following through with a, uh, a much larger bet with a more 
carefully chosen and polarized range. So if you're not betting 100%, or if you're only going to bet 30 or 40% of hands, generally what that looks like is you're betting the very strongest hands for value and pretty consistently. There's not really a lot of slow playing on the turn. Uh, and that's because slow playing is much riskier on the turn. Right? There, if, if you check the turn when you have a very strong hand, you are cutting in half the number of opportunities that you have to put money into the pot. Now, this is assuming stacks are so deep that it's going to require two streets to get into the pot. If you're playing shallow enough where you just you can check the turn and still shove the river and it's not going to be some like massive overbet, then slow playing the turn does start to become a, a more viable thing. But when stacks are deep enough that like you have to make a big bet on the turn to then set up a shove on the river, you're almost always going to want to do that. There's not a lot of circumstances where you would want to um, check behind anyway as like the, the last player to act on the turn and miss your opportunity to grow the pot there when you have a very strong hand. So the very strong hands are betting quite consistently on the turn. The medium strength hands are checking quite consistently on the turn. There's not the same concern for protection. There is more danger of uh, also getting check raised. You know that that's going to be um, more of a risk, and or it's going to be harder to call the check raise. I guess the check raise is, is going to be larger, and there's there's going to be only one straight to to go, and um, and then the very weakest hands because your biggest hands are betting, and your very weakest hands now they don't have the same. Um, it's like on the flop, you don't necessarily mind that much if you make a small bet with a weak hand and get called because you still have more opportunity. You might improve your hand. You might uh, bluff a later street. On the turn, again, like those things are starting, those opportunities are starting to dissipate. It's less likely that you're going to improve your hand. It's uh, And so you have more incentive if you're going to bet uh, with a bad hand to make it a large bet. And so we do end up seeing you know, after a small bet on the flop, often a very large bet with a much more polar range on turn. So that's a lot about how turn strategy differs from flop strategy, but of course the turn is also not the river. So, you know, in in the other direction, like hands are still a little bit dynamic. It is possible <laughs> that a hand could, could change value. And the main thing that this affects actually is is draws. Um we often say, I often say, <laughs> that draws are the best bluffing hands. It is actually a little bit more complicated than that. Part of why I say that is that I think a lot of people are too passive. And draws are definitely the best bluffing hands if your opponent's not allowed to raise. <laughs> like in, in a world where you're only ever going to face folds or calls, draws are really good bluffing hands because, of course, you love it if your opponent folds and all you have is like a nine high flush draw. Um, but if your opponent calls, you still have a decent chance of drawing out. So if we compare bluffing with a draw to bluffing with like a you know, total trash hand that missed entirely and has no hope of winning, if your opponent can only ever call or fold, then you would prefer to bet with the draw because then you still have the, the backup of, you know, maybe if my opponent doesn't fold, I can still make my, my flush or my straight. The problem when your opponent is allowed to raise, it gets more complicated. Uh, now, if, so in a world where your opponent never called, in a world where your opponent can only fold or raise, now you would actually prefer to have the trash hand, to have the like the total air ball, very poor equity hand when you bet. And this is because um, that hand is not going like, to, if, if you do get raised, it's not a problem to just fold a hand like that. You're not giving up much, if anything, by if, if you have a bad hand and your opponent folds, you're like, okay, I wasn't going to win this one anyway. But if you bet with a draw and your opponent raises you, that can put you in a really nasty spot, especially on the turn where it's harder to justify calling a check raise. Like on the flop, you can usually just call a check raise if you have a good draw. Um, there's enough money behind and still two betting, uh, two, two more cards to come. So there's a decent chance that you can improve with your draw, more opportunities, just more, more play in general, which benefits the draw. So on the flop, you can often justify calling a check raise with the draw. On the turn, that's 
not so true. And so, you know, once you are dealing with a more aggressive uh, opponent or there is the potential that you're going to get raised, it's a little less clear whether or not a draw is going to benefit from, from betting on the turn. So unlike on the river where like hand values are set and it's just well, you either have a strong hand that you're betting or you have a, a poor hand that you're bluffing and there's no question of is my is my bet going to open me up to a raise that will then push me off of my equity that is a thing that, that you have to be concerned about on the turn and consequently what we often end up saying is that many draws are just indifferent to to betting the turn against an opponent who's playing well like what we've seen in the solver strategy it often just ends up you know you bet often enough to make your opponent indifferent to check raising you where uh you know you have some hands that are that are going to face a tough decision when you're when you're check raised but then also um, some hands that will not face a, t- a tough decision. So you'll often see on the turn, and, and it can be a little counterintuitive, you'll sometimes see like total trash hands betting and also draws betting. And it can be tricky to think, well, wait, why is it why is it sometimes checking the draws, but then bluffing with these really bad hands that seem like they're, they're less good bluffing candidates? And the reason is that because your opponent will respond with both calls and raises. And so you want to have some hands in your bluffing range that prefer to be called and some hands in your bluffing range that... Um, either prefer to be raised or at least like don't mind being being raised as much so that's the one hand where the incentive is not as clear on the turn in general the incentives of hands on the turn are more clear like for your strong hands there's a more clear incentive of just just get the money in and with your weak hands there's a more clear incentive of either max out your fold equity or or give up but there's not going to be as much kind of small bets likewise with your marginal hands is more clear you know you're not worried about protection you're just trying to check and, and, and pot control with the draws it does get a little bit more complicated there. So that's the overview of uh, the, the principles of turn strategy. And you can read a lot more about that, including seeing um, some examples uh, drawn from GTO Wizard, along with like screenshots from the program and things that you know, if, if you find this concept or this discussion a little abstract for, for audio only, there are some really great visual aids in that blog, which again is blog.gtowizard.com slash principles of turn strategy. That is free to access along with the rest of the GTO Wizard blog. Um, there's a lot of stuff by me on there, uh, plus by some other really good poker theory people. Uh, and then you can uh, support the podcast on patreon.com slash thinking poker daily that's going to get you access to a lot of fun poker strategy from carlos and me and also get you entered into the drawing to win a free starter subscription on gto wizard so thank you for listening and please enjoy our interview with jamie kirsten Have you two met? Um, not not in person. Um, I think the closest that we came to meeting was um, I went to Run It Up Reno and I was on a, a feature table at Run It Up Reno and um, uh, Jamie and uh, Kevin Martin were doing the um, commentary on it. And um, Kevin says to Jamie, um, Oh, here's Carlos Welch. Uh, and he was kind of like giving my background because Kevin knows me a little bit. He says, um, uh, yeah, he lives in a car. And Jamie, <laughs> J- Jamie said, does he really? <laughs> like, 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 you know, uh, like, do we know that for sure? Because sometimes these things can be a bit 
And uh, I always laugh when I think about that. I'm actually recording this from my car right now. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so she's definitely referred to me uh, when I was sitting at a table that she uh, commentated on. And so we were in the same building, but no, we haven't uh, officially met in person. Yeah, sometimes those people fill out a sneaky bio. Do you remember Jonathan Jaffe claimed to be yes. a golfing trainer? <laughs> yeah, yeah and on ESPN, because I was at the time, it was all over ESPN, and Lon and Norm kept being like, wow, a dolphin trainer who's also this good at <laughs> poker. That's so interesting. And they didn't find out the way after the coverage that he was full of shit. <laughs> I mean, he committed so hard to that bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I could commit to the whole car thing pretty hard and uh, fool some people, but no, that that's real. But yeah, that that's one of my favorite um, uh, Jonathan Jaffe stories. Uh, another one was um, I actually I went to PCA once, and um, when I was leaving, he and I were kind of like in line next to each other on the way back, mm -hmm. and we both got pulled off to the side for like you know little like interrogation <laughs> to see how much money you got or something. Yep, he he was not happy. I was fine because I was broke. Um, but yeah, <laughs> every time I think about Jonathan Jaffe, I think about the dolphin trainer thing yep. and us uh, being um, interrogated by Bohemian authorities. Yeah, that's one way to protect yourself from the, the PCA police is just make sure you lose all your money before you leave. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of ESPN, Jamie, I don't think I've... Um... We're certainly not on the air. I don't think I've I've congratulated you, but that's uh, wonderful to hear you on those broadcasts. I know it's been a couple of years, but I don't oh, think we've please. had you on since you started doing that. Thanks. Um, yeah, that was really unexpected. That was pretty cool because I just was commentating. I commentated for a lot of different um, series and companies and everything, but I didn't even have that on my radar as something that I would ever get to do. So when they asked me, I was like, okay. Like I had, I'm already done like day one A and day one B the previous year. Um, and I was so nervous for that, that I was like hoping my car would break down or I would get sick. Or something. <laughs> like I was just, I hadn't done like a live broadcast like that. That was like on any big network or anything. So I was like, Oh God, like they asked me, I'm like, I'm obviously going to say yes. I'm not like too scared to say yes, but I was obviously like when it was actually becoming real, I was like, Oh my God, like this would be a perfect time to just like not be able to get here for some reason. <laughs> like that's how scared <laughs> I was. <laughs> So that wasn't like a, a big, I mean, maybe it was a, a nationwide search that they were quiet about, but it wasn't something where you had to like apply or it sounds like they sought you out for that. No. Yeah. I still, um, Maury Eskandani had said something to me once. Um, well, I didn't know who he was. This is actually kind of funny too. I'm just like out of the loop on certain things. I was just like an online grinder and I guess I wasn't like too into like the history of poker and everything. So I didn't know what Maury looked like. I knew who he was and I knew like what he'd done for poker, but um, we're in the break room once and I was working with Tuckman and he was like, oh, he's like, you're my new favorite commentator. He's like, you really give it to Tuckman good. I really, I think you're really funny. And I was like, oh, thanks. And I just like walk away and we're in the booth and Tuckman, <laughs> Tuckman's like, well, that's gotta be good for you. And I'm like, what? And he's like, that's Maury. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I think that had a little to do with it, but. I think I that power with... move probably did it where you're just like, I don't even need your approval. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I had worked with Lon and Norm once, like, um, for free. I just like, they, they wanted me to come in the booth real quick for like, it was a seniors event for fun. And I think I worked for like an hour and I just like had a really good rapport with them. And then I think Lon and Norm have a lot of say in who they work with. Um, and like, we got along and I think that probably helps. I still have no idea. I don't question it. I'm just like, this is fun. I enjoy doing it. 
how different does it feel? Um, or like, how do, how do you, I guess, prepare differently or like present yourself differently or whatever, knowing that you're speaking, I, I imagine to you know a much broader audience and a lot of people just watching like whatever's on ESPN and not necessarily like big poker fans the way it might've been watching some of the other broadcast stuff that you've done. Yeah, for sure. I feel like there's a little bit less pressure to be so te- technical. Um, also with Lon and Norman there, like they want to just have fun and they want to highlight the people and their backstories. Um, and I almost feel like the actual poker hands are secondary to the other kind of like entertaining quality of the, of the, uh, stream. Mm-hmm. So when it was on ESPN, that was great. I really enjoyed that. And like making little jokes and talking to a wider audience. I think now that it's moved to CBS, um, and it's produced and I'm part of the, um, poker go live stream, it's back to being like an audience of poker players for the most yeah. part. I would assume like we don't have, I don't get info on like who uh, are the poker go subscribers, but I would assume if you're paying $10 a month, you yeah, have for a more poker than just a passing interest thing. in poker. Yeah. So it is <laughs> a little different now. I, I could like hear the sadness in your voice when you're like, it's mostly poker players. <laughs> it's Well, I feel like that was our biggest opportunity to reach out and just oh, pull yeah. in some people because I know like aren't you ever flipping through channels like I don't watch a ton of TV but there's every once in a while where I'll be surprised at something I'm enjoying watching like a good example would be when the Olympics are on I'll find a random sport like curling took our nation by storm we're like whoa this is cool <laughs> I would never pay ten dollars a month to watch curling but I would probably try out curling if I was like in Canada or something because I watched it on TV when I was just randomly watching other programs um, I think poker really got a boost from that, like having oh, yeah. it be mainstream, having it be looked at like a sport by some people. Um, and I feel like we're really missing out on that now. Yeah. Speaking, and, uh, speaking of that, the um, I was watching uh, some random show one day and it was a cornhole tournament. It just happened to be on <laughs> when I was at a restaurant and um Hellmuth was in it. <laughs> and I was like, what the what? hell? <laughs> yeah. Like, so Phil Hellmuth, like, I, it felt like, like the sound was down. So I couldn't hear what they were saying, but just it, it, it felt like he was like a celebrity guest uh, participant in a cornhole tournament. <laughs> and that crossover made me actually sit there and watch that tournament for at least an hour. And I could probably identify at least one cornhole player by, by face now um, because of that. So who knows how many like cornhole fans would become poker players if they, you know, see him there and then get interested in other things he did, in other yeah, things he does. For sure. Maybe they switch their subscription over from cornhole go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we're doing a little bit of that outreach. Um, I mean, it's tough when you're not on ESPN anymore. Like CBS is cool. I, I did really enjoy the live stream portion of that when we were just live on TV. It was like, it felt really high stakes. I'm like, ooh, I could get canceled in like one second right now. <laughs> just say the wrong thing. <laughs> um, there is some outreach though. Uh, like I'm working with WPT Global and we've worked with Alexandra Botez, um, Nemo with like, uh, we had Mr. Beast on a, a celebrity game at Hustler. There have been a, a lot of attempts to just access some people that maybe were like the old ESPN watchers who'd be like, oh, maybe maybe I would like poker, but they need to have it served to them now um, through these other means, I guess. With Alex, I think that there, there is a lot of crossover with people who love chess or who love video gaming or who are like big YouTubers that their, brain, their brains might be primed to enjoy poker as well. So we're like trying to get into those crowds now and try to get some new blood into poker in different ways. 
it's funny because I had never heard of any of those people until they started playing poker. Oh, really? That's yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really pay a lot of attention to, to like YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm, I'm a little older than their, their demographic. Gotcha. Speaking of uh, old demographics, uh, I got into poker, you know, Jamie was talking about people watching uh, something on TV and just happened to like, you know, stumble across poker. That's how I got into it when I was like trying to, I used to watch um, uh, get rich quick infomercials late at night. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's how I found poker, like between like Carlton Sheets infomercials and that's the one I remember. And there was like one or two others, but man, we're missing that whole crowd. And, and that's like a great crowd to get because those are people who are actively looking for ways to make money. <laughs> so <laughs> we really, really we really dropped the ball when I think I never thought about it until you brought brought it up. There's a a large group of people who would have stumbled across poker just flipping through the, the channels that we just don't get mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, that's hilarious. So the get rich quick in poker. It's like, this is kind of how I just get poor slowly. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it really works anymore, unless you're going to study a whole lot. <laughs> so so you 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 probably haven't heard this story, but I'm sure the uh, the listeners have. So I was flipping through and I like when I was younger, I would get into a lot of those get rich quick things. And of course, none of them work. And so I lost money like time and time again. And I kind of gotten um uh, jaded about it, but I was flipping through and then I saw poker and they were saying, Oh, this guy won a bunch of money last year. And the guy who, uh, made money, his name is Moneymaker. And I'm thinking like, <laughs> bullshit. Like, like who, who likes this stuff? Like this was obviously a scam, <laughs> but I did some research and thankfully it wasn't a scam. Yeah, I'm surprised that Andrew Brokus would get into it after Moneymaker came true. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I was curious, Jamie, with um, Norman Lawn having such an established dynamic between the two of them. Uh, I mean, I think your your sense of humor does fit in. Uh, maybe this is an insult. Does fit in nicely with Lawn's, but or sorry, with uh, Norm's. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But I mean, how did you think about like fitting yourself into what essentially was like an, an established duo um, and you're making sure that you don't end up being a third wheel? Yeah, um, I guess I just didn't think about it too much. Uh, well, the way I got into it was just that one stream that I did with them and they just brought me on as like an analyst. Like, OK, it's like the end of the seniors event. Like, let's talk. Have you talk a little bit about ICM and final table uh, pressures and stuff like that? Um, and so I just went in there being like, okay, I'm just going to help out for a little bit. So there didn't feel like any pressure mm. to fit in. Like if it had been presented to me differently where they're like, Hey, we're thinking about going in a completely different direction having a three person booth. Uh, you're going to have to get in there and like be super serious and like keep them talking about poker. There was almost no prep. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> Hey, that worked out. Like go in there, have a good time. Like there was so little prep that I didn't even know any of the terminology. Like, uh, there was a time where I'm on headset, which is different for me because I had done live streams where you don't really have like commercial breaks and you don't have a ton of ad reads or the producer in your ear telling you certain things while you're talking, which is super weird. Um, I wasn't used to any of that. So I'm talking about a hand and I hear the producer going, lay out, lay out, lay out. And I just, I'm like, okay, <laughs> like I'm finishing talking about this hand. And all of a sudden we're just in a commercial and I'm like, what? <laughs> and and Lana's like, oh, is your headset like not working? They kept saying layout. I'm like, what does layout mean? 
(laughs) (laughs) He just started laughing. And I'm like, I have no background in like showbiz or like (laughs) broadcasting. I was like, I'm a poker player. I make jokes on Twitter. Like I need to know everything. Like tell me how this job works. Like I'm five years old. Um, So then they got the clue that like, okay, you like, I need a little more handholding. Like, I just don't, you know, I don't have any exposure to this. So that was kind of funny, but I didn't even know to be nervous. I didn't know to try to fit in with them. Um, I just was like, okay, I, I love them. Like I've watched them since I was a baby poker player. Uh, so for me, it's like, I respect them. That helps a lot. Like I'm not on the team of like snobby poker elites that are like, they don't know what they're talking about. They're not good poker players. They don't deserve to be in there. I'm like, they are like whispering doing... to each other in German about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Like they're doing what they do very well. Um, and I was just happy to be included. I was like happy to basically like cover more of the audience. Like if people like their entertainment and their background stories and all that, I was happy to appeal to people who like poker a little bit. They want to hear a little bit more about the hands and a little bit more about ICM and whatever. I felt like that was not that hard to like fill that role. It's not like I was going in there and talking like elite poker strategy, which I would be terrible at. It was just like basically appealing to people who are there to listen to a little bit more poker. Yeah, I think in terms of like, I mean, it's still elite poker strategy to 99.9% of the world, right? It's just like, it's it's not like Patrick Leonard, but it's uh, for for that. And I think you're an excellent person for making what would be high level poker strategy to anyone other than an extremely serious poker player, like making that um, very accessible and, and interesting. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I had a little bit of a struggle with the really good poker players. And I understand it though. Like I would try not to take it too personally that there's the top 0.1% that want to listen to someone that's going to teach them something. They want to listen to Nick Shulman or they want to have like a a super genius expert poker player in the booth. Um, I get it. Cause like, I also feel that way. Like there's definitely times where like, I like listening to Stapes and his jokes, but I also really enjoy when I can sit down and listen to Nick and Ali. And I feel like I'm like, wow, I'm getting taught something. Um, so like, I get it that some people are frustrated not to have that. But the thing I would say though, to like stick up for myself is I don't know if that person would be great with lawn and norm. Right. Like, I think it might be weird to have someone who's like a poker bot teaching poker and being amazing and like getting every spot. Right. And then have there be like norm stick and like lawns, like, oh my God, the forest page. I can't believe, you know, like it, it almost feels like, <laughs> like they did the best they could to figure out who like a good third person instead of the best poker player they could find. Yeah. And that was always extremely frustrating for me. Like with the, the year that I was on uh team online, people would say, Oh, this isn't like, you know, one of the 10 best online poker mm-hmm. players in the world. And I was like, that's not what they're looking for. <laughs> like, yeah, there's I'm, always I'm been good enough, weird... but there's always been some weird gatekeeping with stuff like that. Um, and I, I don't know, like I did, I, I had a hard time. Like it's hard to get a lot of criticism at once. It's hard to even get a lot of praise at once. Like I was just like, let me be in my little house with my dog. Like, I don't want to <laughs> be exposed like that. Um, but there is like weird gatekeeping in poker where it's like, this person doesn't deserve this and they can't do this job and they can do whatever. And it's like, there's so much room for so many different personality types and so many different skill levels. And now that I'm on the kind of, inside of WPT Global and looking at like what ambassadors we find valuable and who we're hiring for what dollar amount, what we're having them do um, for us. There is so much room for so many different people. 
like the best poker player in the world. Yeah. Like we have Phil Ivy, we have him for certain things. Um, and then we also have Brad and Andrew who are really good poker players, but they focus more on two, five and five ten and making vlogs. And they're wildly popular at that. And they're really good at teaching like these people who are new to poker. Um, I just think looking at a person who gets a job and being like, they're not the best poker player is probably the wrong way to go about it. Cause I think the best <laughs> players tend to be pretty one dimensional. Sorry. Hey, you know what? The, the 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 best poker players are probably busy playing poker. They don't want yes. this job. <laughs> mm -hmm. That too. Like they're making so much money. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you got to get a person who's buying into 100Ks and then say, hey, we're going to pay you X amount to come like commentate for the day, they'd be like, no, I'm losing $10,000 <laughs> taking that job. Like they're not going to take it. So what is your role at the WPT Global? Uh, I'm creative producer for them. So I, I came on a year and a half ago. Um, they were looking to start brand new advertising campaigns and try to reach wider audiences. Thomas Keeling and I had, um, I guess it's not really a secret anymore that I worked for Doug Polk's channel. I used to write for him and write jokes and write um, ads for upswing and things like that. We would do like all those hand history reviews. So Thomas Killing and I worked together for a few years um, closely with Doug. This Thomas, is seriously serious, right? Yeah, yeah. He's the best. So he um, he was looking at getting a job with either GG or WPT Global. He ends up going to WPT Global, recommends me um, as like a creative person to make all these ads and videos and stuff like that. So that's why I initially came on as. Um, this job has like morphed a lot in the last year and a half. I do a lot of random stuff. Um, but what was the original question? What am I doing for them? <laughs> yeah, just like we, we didn't really introduce uh, that that part of your, your uh, yes. role yet. Yeah, so recently um, I've hired a few people to be a social media team. So I'm overseeing that now and helping out with that. Um, we also open in Mexico uh, on the online side. So we now also have uh, all social media platforms in Mexico. So that's kind of been an interesting challenge, um, trying to figure out how to market to a completely different area. Um, with Because they do have just like different rules for advertising and stuff. And it's like, it's been really interesting. Um, and then when the win championship just happened, uh, <clears throat> I was in charge of all the live streams. So making the lineups for all the cash games, hiring the commentators, and working with Sharehand to produce the whole thing. Um, so that was like extremely challenging and anxiety inducing, but I'm just so glad that it went well and people seem to really enjoy it. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty different skill than what you had done prior. Like, I mean, being a producer as opposed to being like on air talent. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I did commentary too. That was the busiest month I think I've had in since I started playing poker but i i don't know like i think i really like this job because there's stuff that comes up and they're like okay we need to hire a person to do this or like we need a consultant for that and then there's just certain things i just really want to do so i'm like well i'll just do that like it's only a month long like i can do that part and i i find that like really fun that i work with people that kind of have like let me just take chances like that and see how it works out and it's been going pretty well yeah, it sounds like the championship at the win went really well. Like everything that I saw on social media, people seemed to really like that. Yeah, that was cool because win is very protective of their brand. Um, and they just don't, they were, there was a lot of red tape. They were very hesitant for certain things. Um, and then as the event was rolling, it was just, everything was working out well. Players were just so happy and like, 
outwardly, like they're on Twitter talking about how great it is and tagging the win. I think Wynn just got more comfortable being like, okay, this event is really good. Like it turned out double the prize pool when they were sweating the 15 million guarantee. I think we had like 29 million. Um, and I think uh, fingers crossed that this could be like an every year kind of thing. Um, and I, I don't know, my hope was that it would be like a winter WSOP where people right. just don't ever miss it and we could extend it a week or two. Um, the only issue is like Thanksgiving is it's like bookended by Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I don't think it could ever be like a two month festival the way WSOP has. But um, I don't know. I'm excited. I think that it was really successful and it'd be great if that was a mainstay every year. Yeah, I think there's room for something like that on the schedule. I and mean, I feel like Prague or something was the closest prior to yeah. that. And I don't think that was getting anywhere near the the kind of traction that WSOP was. No, but you know, what's really sick. I thought we were going to have to wrestle players away from Prague. Um, Cause I was like, oh man, it's going to be a challenge. Like if we're going to hit the 15 million or gonna... Prague had decent numbers too. Their, their numbers didn't suffer by us having this $29 million prize pool. So that makes me feel like poker is just crushing right now. Well, I'm sure you're playing a role in that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I am losing a lot of money to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> 15 million, Jamie. I'm worried about you. That's, that, that's definitely not true because I have a mental list in my head <laughs> of people who I play against on WSOP.com who knock me out of every single tournament we play. <laughs> Jamie's at the top of that list. Like every time I get moved to a new table and Jamie's on my left, I'm like, here we go. <laughs> uh, I'm out. I might as well start making dinner plans. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, four or five tournaments in a row. It's like Jamie takes me out. So yeah, she's definitely um uh money's definitely flowing her way, at least uh there for sure. So you would you would be living in a nicer car if it wasn't for me. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was starting to ask you before I interrupted myself, uh, what is like on the ambassador side, what are some of the things that, that you're looking for? Like what's some of the strategy that goes into choosing your ambassadors? Um, so right now, like I'm only a small part of that decision-making the people who are making those decisions have done such a good job already. Like I think getting Brad and Andrew, like I was a big proponent of getting them both on the team. Um, for, for me, I would look at uh, reaching brand new players. Cause that's obviously like our number one priority but right now regionally is like looking at people who like someone who'd be an amazing ambassador in mexico um if we're focusing on a certain market like canada finding the player there that has the most social media reach who does the most like interesting content creation um who engages with their audiences really well and then secondary to that is being a good poker player <laughs> like it used to be you know be be like the highest stakes best poker player and there is value in that like those people get to pop up on these like incredible streams um now and then and play high stakes and those hands go viral there is still value in that but i think just the like boots on the ground kind of feeling that brad and andrew have where they'll show up at a meetup game and play with 200 of their fans and then they'll make a vlog out of that and they'll get five hundred thousand or a million views on top of that um and i just don't think you can really replicate that kind of hustle. The people who will sit quietly at home and edit their videos and post that and reach people who are just sitting in their living rooms who have like a passing interest in poker. Like it's really hard to get that level of engagement um, in any other way. Like maybe Phil Ivey is the only other person that has that kind of star power to get everyone to pay attention to them. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the, the age of just, oh, this person's attractive and pretty good at poker and they wander through a poker room, patch them up and give them half a million. I don't think that's happening as much anymore. I think the people like like Brad and Andrew have to really hustle to, to get with the, where they are. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that was always kind of a lazy strategy. It just seemed like there was so much money, um, I guess in the sort of like marketing, it, it, it felt to me like that was never an optimized strategy. It was just people were not trying that hard. Like there wasn't that much incentive for them to optimize, I guess. Yeah. I think also it just used to be an easy game. Like there was such high interest in poker that you didn't have to optimize it for it to still be good. It's right. almost like, uh, the, I don't know, this is a goofy, uh, parallel, but it's like looking at a chart and it's like, okay, shoving aces is profitable. It's like, yeah, but is it the best <laughs> way to play it? Like it, it was basically anything you did in poker was profitable. Like, Oh, put a patch on this person that generates revenue, but you might've been able <laughs> to get so much more mileage out of that person. If you actually put them to work to like be more hands-on to actually engage, to go on more podcasts, do more interviews, um, anything, if they were making vlogs, can you even imagine how valuable a person would be if this was like 15 years ago and they weren't just like, Hey, I walk in a poker room, like Vanessa Russo, for example, was so famous, would be on all the TV shows and everything. Imagine if she was also vlogging how huge her YouTube would be. Um, like, I think they could have gotten so much more out of their ambassadors back in the day uh, with the popularity of poker where it was. Yeah. And I guess like, I mean, to, to the point of them being like lazy or even fiscally irresponsible in some cases, I mean, Hotel obviously ended up yeah. like blowing themselves <laughs> up after turning everyone whose name you would remotely recognize into a red pro. Yep. <laughs> that was crazy. I actually had friends that were sponsored back then. Um, and one of them, I won't say her name. Uh, she told me that they also had, uh, besides their base salary, they had an hourly for when they were playing on the site. Um, and there were absolutely no rules about what, how to get that hourly. So she would play two cent, four cent Raz at all times. Like literally her computer, like 18 hours a day would just be on and she'd be doing her laundry and <laughs> clicking the, the button just to like fold, uh, and would be making an hourly doing that before. And she was th with them for like a year before anyone noticed. And I'm like, that's hilarious. Like there was just no, there was no one overseeing like what was going on, which unfortunately for our ambassadors, we pay very close attention to what they're doing, <laughs> what they're making. And we have activities for them to do and engagement they need to do, but but, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't think it was like that at all back in the day. It was just you had to just show up, play poker when you want to, make a zillion dollars and, you know, defraud a bunch of people in some cases. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're keeping a closer eye on your troops. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like our, our team. I basically I have some input like I am. Um, I really believe that uh, one of the best things we could do right now is get people like Botez, the Botez sisters, um, and obviously like the big names, Mr. Beast, Ludwig, all these people, just getting them to play poker. We're introducing poker to just so many millions, probably millions of people, um, through their channel. They get such good viewership and such high engagement. It's insane. Like I commentated one of the creator nights that, um, the first one actually that we had. And these are people who have never played poker, have never heard of poker. And their chat is just, everything is a million questions, like beginner questions, um, and Alex afterwards is just like, oh, they like they love talking to you. Everyone's like interested in playing poker. They had so much fun. I'm like, this is so crazy that we can just like hands on communicate with these people one on one just through her because she has such a good community and they love chess and like chess brain and poker brain are probably pretty similar. Um, yeah. I think that's like the next best place to look for new ambassadors. I assume there's a, a deliberate strategy here also to try to attract younger people or like a newer generation of, of people. And that's why there's so much emphasis on the kind of YouTube stars and like social media. Yeah, I think that's true. I also think it's just a really inexpensive way to market. Um, pretty much these live streams are 
a lot of them, like we sponsor Hustler um, and they'll get, you know, 10, 15K concurrent viewers. And think about how hard that would be to reach through TV, like how much money you'd have to spend to get that kind of like eyes on a TV commercial for just thinking of like how the stream runs six or seven hours straight and we can just have our branding on there. It's like, yeah, we will reach a younger crowd. I don't know how intentional it really is. Like I haven't really thought too hard about it. Um, it's actually a drawback. Sometimes some of these people like video gamers might have like a 15 year old crowd and like, we're not trying to reach Uh, them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, there's a few poker players I know who were that young when they started, I mean, even even started (laughs) playing online, but yeah, I understand that you're, you're not encouraging that. No. (laughs) Have you become like friendly with, with any of those folks? Like, do you, do you know Botez? Do you hang out with her? Yeah, that that's actually pretty cool. Um, I'm not really into the like clout chasing stuff that I think would be really beneficial to my career if I was. <laughs> um, but it was cool because like I, I didn't try to like be friends with her. I was just like, oh cool, like I'm gonna help her out. I'm gonna like be, uh, I'll commentate if she wants me to on this stuff and whatever. She's just so sweet and like friendly and nice. Um, that I end up just like chatting with her a lot and like we strategize some of the um projects that she can help us with. And uh, I just find her to be like such a delightful person that I would consider her a friend. And I, I enjoy that a lot. Cause I'm like, I didn't really like try, like when Mr. Beast was on there, I'm such a big Mr. Beast fan. And I didn't even try to meet him because <laughs> I'm just like, Oh, I don't want to be one of those people. That's like, I don't know. Like, it just feels really cheesy. I'm like, Oh, these poor people just get like assaulted every day by these people trying to be their friends. And I just don't want to be like that. Um, but it is nice that like once in a while it just happens organically. And like, I, I really enjoy like, Botez is so sharp that I'll come with an idea that I think is like a good idea. And I like an hour long conversation later, she just made it a lot better and more engaging. And like, she has such a good grasp on YouTube and Twitch and like how to engage with her audience that like, I actually learned a lot from working with her already. That reminds me of, um, I think it was like on a Simpsons commentary <laughs> DVD, they were talking about, uh, you know, they've had so many famous guests on it, like I don't know, three of the four Beatles and mm-hmm. former presidents and athletes and stuff. And the, the, there were like two guests who they, um, all the writers were like most excited to meet. One of them was Weird Al Yankovic. I wish I could remember who the second one was, but it was such an insight into like who's writing for the Simpsons and like what's That's there. amazing. <laughs> I completely understand that too. The only, um, only times I've been really actually starstruck um were with comedians and it's like it's hilarious to me because like there are people who are definitely way more famous that like i was like i don't care <laughs> like, like certain musicians and stuff i've had contact with like whatever um michael ian black was one and i think it's so funny that he's like so in our community now i played at mohegan yeah. sun and I get moved to the feature table and I'm like barely getting my chips out. I haven't looked around and I see you to my direct right. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> and <laughs> I used to watch these like really obscure, um, like there was the show Stella that didn't last very long, but I was like a massive fan. And my best friend and I in high school used to quote it all the time. And I just like, couldn't believe I'm sitting next to the guy that like wrote and performed in that. And I was like, it's just so funny. Cause I always thought it was really cheesy when people would be like such big fans of like performers and stuff. I'm like, this is so lame. And then I like meet one comedian. I'm like, Oh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I played with, um, Norm MacDonald in the 2019. That's another event. one, dude. Yeah. He, rest in peace, man. He was literally the best. I got, to, I played a 5k sit and go, um, at poker go. And I basically, and the lineup wasn't even easy. The only reason I went was because Norm MacDonald was playing and I got to talk to him. And uh, I didn't know he was sick at the time or anything. And just 
what an awesome person like uh and like legit probably like top 10 funniest people that ever lived like i don't know if you saw he um they released a video that he made like he knew he had very little time left and uh, had no, a video released after his death it is the funniest shit you'll ever see and it's like <laughs> so long and it seems so off the cuff and like everything i'm like how are you just so funny like so naturally funny that like yeah it's it's one of the funniest things you can see even though it's sad to watch it's like amazing that he left that for us i'm glad you mentioned that i, I will definitely look that up because yeah mm-hmm. I, I did i mean i wouldn't say i was like a huge fan of his but i definitely like thought he was very funny and, and i was like the the I was a kid, you know, when he was on SNL and I did mm-hmm. watch a lot of it. And so it was very, it was quite surreal to be, and I didn't even recognize him at first. Um, he actually, he did, he did look sick when I played with him. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was part of it, but he was also just like on the other side of the table. So I think I played a few hands and all of a sudden I was like, okay, the cutoff raise. And I was like, oh shit, that's Norm MacDonald. Here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it so cool? I would love to analyze like how those people got into poker for the first time, because it is so cool when we just like trap someone into our community and they just become part of like the framework. It's so incredible to me that, cause it's just like Jennifer Tilly, we just get Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> like how awesome is that? Like so many people want her time and attention and she just like loves the poker community and she'll show up and just like, I, I just think it's so cool. And like, I, I don't know, it'd be cool to get more people like her and like Norm McDonald into the game. Yeah. Like Norm, you know, had tons of money, tons of celebrity, tons of experiences in his life. He could have been doing anything he mm-hmm. wanted to in his last days, and he wanted to sit at a poker table with Andrew. Like, yep. that, that <laughs> is crazy how this game attracts people. Uh, I had a little bit of a similar experience playing like a $200 daily at the win one day and looked up, and uh, Ray Romano was there. And so Ray Romano is at my table playing a, a little, you know, low stakes daily, uh, not during the se- the summer. This is like February or something. And he was just killing time before he had to go do a set at the Mirage. And so he actually ran deep. And uh, I think he kind of like purposely punted at the final of it going to the, going towards the final table so he could go p- perform at the Mirage and make, you know, God knows how much money. Uh and yeah, but you know, he could be doing anything he wants, but he wants to play a little $200 daily at the win. Crazy. So cool. How much would you guys pay to like get that feeling back? Like I, that's the only thing that I am kind of regretful about with poker is that you never really get that like $200 daily butterflies in your stomach. I just love to play like feeling after a certain period or I don't anyway, like I love poker, but I don't, I don't know how to ever like replicate that feeling at all of when you're just like so excited to play that you'll play something where the money's not even meaningful. You'll play a home game with friends just for pride. Um, and just like want to play so badly. And I, I don't know, like, it's so cool that we get these celebrities who are playing a $200 tournament, but man, I would pay a lot of money to get that feeling back. I don't know how you guys feel. They all have a day job. It's like that to me, like once you start doing this for a living, you kind of kill that part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was going to say similar. The, the way I often put it is that I enjoy my job, I think, more than most people enjoy their job. But I enjoy playing poker less than like amateur poker players enjoy playing poker. Like it is still a job. I mean, it's, yeah. it is a, a job that is a game. Um, I mean, truthfully, I would say at this point, the like not that it's, it's butterflies, but like my job is at least as much like making this stuff with Carlos. And uh, that is, is, you know, that's more the thing now where I'm like, holy shit, how do I get paid to do this? 
Yeah, yeah. that's like that's kind of cool. Finding other things in the industry that make you feel that excited. Like I, I'll I'll admit, like, like, truly, I just like get on a microphone with my friend and talk poker and like that's, that's really cool. There's money in sure. Like December, uh, I had that like nervous anxiety feeling, um, just doing something new, like planning those lineups and stuff. Like Schwan Lu helped me so much. Um, but those are really fragile and you could have like the best laid plans for like how a stream is going to go and how big the game's going to play and the characters that are going to be involved and the viewership that we're going to get. It could all come crashing down if one person backs out. And we had like moments of like actual panic where a, a massive production where you spent half a million dollars on that stage. Um, and we have share hand, which is expensive. They're the best in the business. Uh, and then we just have someone say, Hey, I'm not going to play if that guy's playing. And even other guy said, I'm not going to play unless that guy's playing. And we had all that. And like <laughs> that, that feeling like trying to get it all together and then having it work out, um, was a similar feeling to like when I was deep in a tournament for the first time where you're just like, yeah, Oh my God, that. like this nervous excitement. And it was like really cool to experience that. Um, like within this industry, like it's cool to like turn over a new, like, I don't know, turn over a rock and be like, Oh, like this is new. This kind of like, I don't know. I guess I'm like not at all tired of the poker industry. I just don't have that like same spark for going to drive and play poker somewhere. And I don't know if I'll ever get that back. Probably not because it's a job now. Yeah. I think you would have to find it in something other than poker or yeah. other than you know playing poker. Anyway. Playing, yeah. Cool. Uh, why so many uh, people get like go broke staking because they're like ooh staking that's different <laughs> like this is the new kind of way to gamble and then like uh oh <laughs> I, I still enjoy playing online um, I don't enjoy playing live at all but I don't know if I ever really did so that might be a little bit different mm -hmm. um, but yeah I think I enjoy studying more than playing these days um, teach me teach me how to feel like that <laughs> I don't know, man. I think, I think part of it is just kind of being an introvert and, and just feeling like, you know, a kid with his toys, like, you know, basically just like, you know, all these solvers and books and uh, videos, like all these things that I enjoy, like I almost study for entertainment as crazy as that sounds. Uh, yeah, it's like I feel that way now. The, the opposite is I literally felt like a weird feeling in my stomach when you were describing having to juggle all these personalities. Mm -hmm. That is like the worst possible thing for me to do. <laughs> I had a job once where I was a manager of a seafood restaurant. I hated managing adults. Mm -hmm. um, so first, so I did that first. And then later in life, I became a math teacher. And so it was kind of um, the same thing, but at least with kids, like they had an excuse for why they acted the way they did. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even like really enjoy that aspect of being a teacher, like managing like the different relationships between the different kids. But when you talk about this with adults, like when you say, I don't want to play. Well, I don't want to play unless he wants to play like yep. that really just sent chills down my spine. I was like, man, let me just sit in my room with a solver. It was way more <laughs> entertaining and way more my thing than like dealing with adult personalities. It's, it's really interesting because I think I'm good at it, but I also hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Where I'm it's like, like I, yeah, I it's was like, like babysitting. Feeling, yeah. We're like, I respect people. Like I respect the fact that, this person is playing on a live stream where they're not getting paid to do it. They're not sponsored by our company. They don't owe me anything. Like I get that point. 
Um, so I don't expect everyone to just do everything I want if I invite them. Um, I do, I feel like I hold people to too high a standard with their word because I have played in some seriously terrible games, like in lineups that basically fell apart when I said I was going to. And I've never had like a massive bankroll where I could just go drop 10 or 20K and not care about it. Um, but I still did it at times when like my friend put together a lineup, I said I would be there. And I think I was expecting more of that. And I, I was in for a rude awakening when that was not what was happening. Um, there's also kind of a culture right now of like really, really catering to certain poker players to the point where like, I can't say anything. Like I was like, this person is the VIP and they get to just call the shots. And that's the way that like private game poker culture is right now. And that is hard for me to deal with because I think like there are multiple times where I could have really ruined relationships with players. If I had fired off what I wanted to say immediately, (laughs) (laughs) instead I would just like, okay, I'm going to just sit for a few minutes and I'm going to talk to Sean about this. And then we're going to like fire off a text message or an email or whatever. And it all turned out fine. Like everybody was completely reasonable and good to work with once they're actually in the building at the table, like better than I would have expected. But the lead up to it made me so incredibly nervous that I was going to just screw up the first time I ever handled this and no one was going to show up and like, we'd have no games and we would have spent half a million dollars on this beautiful set we didn't use. Like there, (laughs) there was definitely like four in the morning wake ups that were like, Oh my God, like, I'm just going to lose my job today. Um, (laughs) And I'm just like glad that people like ended up being more reasonable than they seem like they're going to be. I get the sense. I mean, maybe, maybe we mean different things by VIPs or have a different kind of person in mind, but I, I imagine a person for whom that's like being catered to in that way and like being a, a dramatic person and, and kind of having the world move or, or revolve around them is part of what they're looking for. Like creating that kind of drama and seeing that they have the power to be like, oh yeah, you have to, I can like fuck up your plans and you just have to eat it. Like uh-huh. I think there, there's a kind of person for whom that's like, they enjoy that. Yeah. And you know, what's really bad at like, I, I think I have a really healthy appreciation for having a job that I like, which is, I don't feel enslaved by that job. Like I think playing poker for so long and also being interested in doing so many different things and like having different gigs and whatever, it makes me feel like I'm going to do a job as long as it makes sense. Like as long as I like working with my coworkers as long as I feel valuable and, and valued and whatever. So there is like this moment every time where I'm in a spot where I like really don't like the interactions where I go, I don't have to do this. <laughs> like That's always in the back of my mind, but it actually helped when dealing with like some of the personalities. Cause I was like, Hey, listen, like I'm happy to like play this game kind of, but I'm not going to let you like disrespect another person or like be completely out of control. Um, so I'm like, I understand that you're very valuable to this stream, but like not so valuable that you can like really make someone else feel terrible or like yell at a coworker of mine or something like that. So I don't know. Like I have so much respect though for, for Brent Hanks, for Ryan Feldman, like they do this a lot. Um, and they managed to still be like nice people about it and to like have a good reputation where players like talking to them. I think it's a lot harder than it looks. And like, I hope I get better at dealing with it in the future. And that, cause like, I think I dealt with it fine. It was more just internally. I'm like, I'm not sleeping. I <laughs> like, I feel anxious. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I'm just like so thankful for the people who helped me with it and that, that it like came through at the end. Um, but it's just funny. Cause I'm like, I, Brent Hanks doesn't seem like a crazy person and he has to do this all the time. I'm like, how do you just not internalize this? <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> I, I feel like I hear you know, when you say the support of friends who helped you 
deal with this. If this is a little bit your reward for sitting in those games uh, where, you're, where you're, you know, casually dropping ten or twenty k, um, mm-hmm. having come through for your friends in previous circumstances, it sounds like you are benefiting now from having friends who are coming through for you. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, basically. Yeah, I try to say yes to people when they ask for something, either like a media request or like, hey, like, can you help me get a person in this game? Like, I do try to say yes. I think it's really hard, especially for you guys. Like, I when I had the podcast with Marley, um, I really, like, there were times when I would ask three different guests before someone would say yeah, and we were doing it weekly. And that would get to the point where I was like, oh, my God, I almost feel like I'm calling in favors from friends. Um, so that when I started get at getting asked to be on pods or do an interview or like, hey, can I grab you for five minutes on a break for like poker news when they take up your breaks? I would just always say yes, because I'm like, man, now that I see how hard it is to like consistently create content, um, I was like, I'm going to help people who do create content. I think that comes back a lot in poker. It really does. Like when you've done when you've gone on someone's podcast, then I'm like, hey, can you come do this interview? Like you guys would be more likely to say yes to coming and doing an interview with Global, right? Like, I think that that your reputation for just like being helpful to other people or like being open to media stuff, I think it does help. And and I, I don't know, I like to think it does anyway, that that's like, I don't really believe in karma, but that's kind of like a little bit creating your own karma to just try to be helpful. And then people want to help you in return. Yeah. I think to the extent that I believe in karma, it is that it's like the opposite of the lie down with dogs, wake up with fleas thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where, I mean, I guess you, you literally lie down with dogs, but in, in, <laughs> you, you get all the, all the nice things that come from that. <laughs> How has that been for you guys? Cause this has been a really long running pod. Um, have you found it difficult to continue like creating interesting content? Are you still as interested in interviewing people as you were from the beginning? I will say, so Carlos has taken over as the co-host of the show. It's mm-hmm. been a little over a year now. And that I think was, was a much needed um, in, infusion of like fresh energy to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nate was, by the time he left, he had two kids with a third on the way. He had a full-time yeah. job. He was not really, he had not been in the poker world for a while, really. Yeah. So I was like half doing it by myself, which was not mm-hmm. that, like I said, I mean, if it's good money to get to talk poker with your friend, it's not good money, like relative to some other things that I could be doing. So it's not like, uh, you know, an important part of it was the energy that I was getting from my partner. (laughs) So uh, bringing in someone who was ready to to bring that energy in, like, I think that that helped a lot and motivated me to, I'm I'm still the primary one who who gets our guests, although Carlos gets the credit for suggesting uh, Lori from our our previous show. But um, (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's all. It's also a nice excuse to invite some people back and be like, oh, yeah, you've done the Thinking Poker podcast, but have you done it with Carlos Welch? <laughs> uh, so that's handy. And I think, I mean, to some degree, I just have like a, um, and I think it rarely is personal, but you know, I often, have to, like, if I DM someone and they don't answer, I'm just like, oh, they hate me. And that's why they're not doing the show. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so hard. Uh, God, I think a lot of like, a lot of the growth that I've done in the last like five or 10 years has just been like, don't take things personally. Like it's okay. Like, especially like I had to keep saying that to myself in December. Cause I was really um, like, felt really vulnerable and I felt really like um, um, imposter syndrome. Like I'm doing something for the first time and like, I'm probably not going to be very good at it. And Oh, if this person backs out, it's probably cause I'm not good at this. Like it's probably because I didn't follow up enough or, Oh, I tried too hard to get this person or I made a stupid lineup that no one wants to play in. And like that kept, and I was like, why am I like now looking back? I'm like, I was making things personal when like I'd find out later one reason a guy backed out is cause he lost 200 K in live at the bike the week before. There's no <laughs> amount of my like, 
nice text messages or like, Ooh, here, let me get you a hotel room. Like nothing would have helped. Yeah. Um, so like just not taking it personally. Like I could see that though too. I remember when I was doing with Marley, I would DM some people and they wouldn't get back to me. And I would think the same thing. I'm like, Oh, all right. Well, I guess like I'm getting big time by this person. It's like, maybe they read <laughs> 10 DMS that day and just forgot. Like, like that's me. If I'm ever not getting back to you, it's like, I literally just like opened it at a time when I was either half asleep or I was on a zoom call for work. And then I'm like, Oh, I should get back to that. And then it's gone. <laughs> well, this is, that, that's part of the problem though. Cause like, that, and that's why, you know, like I'm more comfortable coming back to you because I know that it's not personal in your case, mm -hmm. or I'm, I'm pretty confident it's not personal in your case. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, you know, I'm, I know that it's not, but I can, I, it's easier for me to convince myself that it's not. Uh, <laughs> whereas if it's like a stranger, then I'm like, oh, they don't even know who I am or they've never heard exactly. of the show or, you know, whatever. So it's just like, is it, okay, Jamie, it's not personal. It's just, she's, she's busy. So I can keep bugging her. Mm -hmm. There's also a, like, there's a weird thing that I think is happening with like how there's so many different messaging services that there's like almost different rules for each one. Like, I feel like if I directly text message someone and they don't respond and I directly text message them again and they don't respond, I'm like, okay, I take that a little personally. If I like DM someone or especially Instagram DM where like most of that is like fun and games or you're like sending a fire emoji or you're like making a joke or like sending a reel, that like never bothers me. Like I could send like five straight messages to a friend on there and not like ever consider that, oh, maybe they don't, like maybe we're not friends anymore or something. It's just strange because it just seems like there's like different unwritten rules for like all the different ways we contact each other. Yeah. Yeah. Also like not everybody uses all of their social media because right. at the same rate, like there could be a message for me on Facebook and yep. I might not see it for two months. <laughs> That's the I one just... too that I ignore the most. I even put it in my bio. I'm like, I don't check this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you have that problem for sure. Mm -hmm. The other thing is with our podcast, I think our average guest is going to be less high profile than your average um, person that you're trying to get in the lineup. Mm -hmm. So the people that you're dealing with, they just might be busier or um, like you said, they may have, you know, had a bunch of DMS or like, mm -hmm. like very few of our guests will have the problem of having lost $200,000 the night before. <laughs> um, so I think it's a lot easier when we are trying to um, find some of these people who may not be household names, like, um, Andrew mentioned, um, um, Lori, Lori Ann Persinger, who, um, went deep in the, um, the, the event at the wind that you guys put on. Um, so like she was somebody that, um, I think I, I, I kind of already knew her before all this happened, but even without that, I don't think it would, she would have been a hard get. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, people like that don't often, uh, get invited to play these big, like, you know, celebrity games or whatnot. Um, well, and it did, it made it easier for me to approach her to know that she already knew you where then I could, I could be, okay, well, I have an easy in with her as opposed to like needed. Cause I mean, for all I know, she wouldn't even know that the show existed. So there's like an extra thing of I mean, trying to reach out to someone who's like not even a professional poker player or not even like, I mean, I guess she's more into the poker world than I realized, but, um, it, you know, it, it was, it, it's just that much easier when you have some kind of personal connection. Mm -hmm. Right. And Jamie, you said you, had, you'd met Lori before. Yeah. And I'm trying to think when wasn't, she was flooring and dealing at Aria for a while. Right. Yeah, I know. I think, yeah, yeah. She worked at art. She worked at a couple of casinos, but yeah. I do know that she got a congratulations from, um, um, Burt Brown, who, um, uh, referred yep, to as a, cash with him. 
He he referred to her as a fellow former um, Aria employee, mm-hmm. okay. and so so that tells me that uh, she worked there. I didn't know he worked there, but that's pretty cool that you know they had that connection. That is cool. I just I knew her. I just couldn't remember where she had dealt to me before, but like we were friendly, um, and like obviously friendly on social media and stuff like that too. I've really enjoyed uh, following her progress because it was such like a dream run for her like that she wins the seat and then that she's like at the future table she's got some cool hands that she played like and then making six figures off of a like a free roll is just so awesome um she's like really easy person to root for so that was it was cool too because like part of my job is like working with the um social media team and content creation um for global so when she was making the run um i just kept telling my team like okay get an interview with her and like make sure you get like pictures of her and all this stuff so that like after her run was done like she was just part of this like compilation video of like all of the um the uh free roll entry winners that we got to have that got deep in the tournament so it was like cool that i'm like oh i would i would want to highlight her anyway for a million other reasons um, basically that she's like a woman deep in this event and that she's like a regular person basically, um, who's like worked in the industry and then to have her also have satellited in through global, <laughs> like really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're ever interested in having her, um, uh, um, do anything, I'm pretty sure she will not ignore your DM. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I told you we would keep you about an hour, Jamie. Was there anything else that you, um, that you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten around to? Um, trying to think. I don't know. I feel like, uh, I'm excited for where poker's going, not to be too cheesy, but I think there's a lot of good players in the industry right now, like that are in spots. Like I'm really happy to work with a lot of the people that I work with. I think we have like a lot of creative people who like really, really love poker. Um, I'm happy that other organizations are popping up. Like the fact that, um, Sarah Grant, um, ends up in this other organization that's like, uh, poker.org that's basically like becoming another poker news it's really cool because like people like to talk about poker dying and i'm like it's just not like we're we're having new uh interesting content sprouting up from everywhere new blood in the game through all these like content creators the vlogging thing is like still picking up steam somehow like i just kind of feel optimistic about where poker is going for like the first time in several years i don't know how you guys feel but that's what i would want to end on I think it's significant that so much of that is live poker specifically. Like I'm, I'm a lot more concerned about the future of online poker. I, I think that uh, solvers and like real time assistance kind of stuff is is already a pretty big problem and is going to be a much much bigger problem very soon. So I think it's it's good that there is such um, compelling you know live content being created because I think that's kind of where we have to go. Yeah. That's a depressing thought to end on, Andrew. Sorry. Yeah, I got, I got a, Carlos is going to say something. He'll, he'll save us. Yeah, I got a much better thought to end on than, than having to play live poker. <laughs> uh, I just want to just, you know, take a, a walk down memory lane and just mention how um, proud and um, happy I am for the two of you as people who helped me get started in poker all those years ago when I was a member at Tournament Poker Edge and you guys were making videos uh, for Tournament Poker Edge and now you guys have 
gone on to do great things like Andrew's writing all these uh, amazing poker books that's kind of like, you know, taking the, the poker world by storm. Like there's so many, like I've been so happy to see the, re- the reaction to Andrew's books. He's basically becoming like the new Skolansky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and Jamie's- I, uh, I, I don't know if I want exactly I was that. Like, uh, <laughs> you, could be the, you could be a less sketchy Skolansky. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so that, and then like, you know, Jamie's working on the other side where she's like, you know, hiring people and putting productions together. And I met the two of you just, you know, sitting in my room, watching the videos and learning from you guys on Tournament Poker Edge. I remember um, loving the videos that Jamie used to do with um, Chris Moon. They would do the joint videos together. <laughs> I watched fun. all. Yeah, I watched all of those. So it's like hearing your voice always takes me back to those days. So I'm, I'm really speaking of like, you know, where poker's going and like, you know, um, things are getting better in poker. Like to see the growth from you two guys is is definitely something that I want to um, highlight. That's really nice. Same to you, though. It's like cool that you slid into this role because you have a lot of good stuff to say. And uh, I'm sorry that I'm taking your lunch money on WSP.com. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean I have to be one person, you know, and you're the one that got selected. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's not, it's not. I've, I've talked to Andrew about this. Like you registered a $300 tournament. <laughs> You think it might be kind of easy, uh, but it's not that easy. You you know you you in the same street zone. Yep. You look you look around and there's like all these high rollers playing this three hundred dollar tournament with you. You're like, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> I played was- one one time and there were twenty five bracelets at the table and like a three hundred dollar tournament. I was like, why am I here? Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> All right, so maybe Andrew's right. Maybe online poker's dying. We're all gonna go to the live stream. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll second what Carla said about you, Jamie, because I'm uh, a lot. Uh, hopefully, this doesn't come across too much on, on social media, but I'm I'm fairly petty in my heart. Like, there's a lot of people where I see, and I'm like, oh, that person. <laughs> Uh, and truly, like to, the the two of you are, are the two people who I'm very consistently rooting for, and I'm like only happy when when good things happen. There's no part of it that's like, why wasn't that me? Like, I, I mean, same two guys. Pure uh, joy for you guys. Yeah, it's the same way about you guys. It's nice. It's nice too to like to realize that there are quite a few people at this point where I'm like, wow, like there's not even a pang of jealousy. Like obviously I want every single bracelet, but like knowing <laughs> that I can't have every single bracelet, like when someone who's like a hard worker who's like a nice person wins, I don't even have that like momentary like, ah, oh, you know? <laughs> like it's pretty cool. Especially now, like that's another I did want to mention this. How many women are crushing? Um in my twenties, this would have tortured my soul. Like I was so competitive that I wanted to be like the best. I look at it now and I'm like, this is so cool. Like just to be like four women, won circuit rings within a week, cherish Andrews, like crushing everyone. Angela Jordison's crushing everyone. Um, Lori just makes six figures off of $0. Uh, I just feel like the tides have turned with that stuff. And I haven't really heard a lot of the negativity I used to hear about women in poker aside from one or two, you know, of the cases that everyone talks about, um, that has changed for the better. And I'm like really thankful for that. So, I think you have, uh, I, I imagine you have a, a fairly significant role to play in that. I don't know about those specific people, but I mean, I think you are one of the best like female role model poker players. Aww. There are, you know, p- p- people that I would want if, if I had a daughter, you know, that I would want them uh, looking up to. That's like the nicest compliment you could give me. I really appreciate that. 
Yeah, like also like you mentioned you and uh Jean, uh I cannot say her name. How do you say it, Sean? Swan. <laughs> it's like Schwan. Swan. It's like Swan if you had a list. <laughs> okay. Swan. I'm from I'm from Georgia, so sometimes words are hard for me. <laughs> but but having the two of you work in these roles where you're kind of like directing the way poker is going, I think that also helps just having like uh, women in these leadership roles uh, that that's a that I think to Andrew's point that does also help with the image of poker overall mm-hmm. that's cool I mean I'm really happy to do it I feel like I had some decent role models like coming up in poker as well and it's like nice now like just there's people that get forgotten about sometimes Linda Johnson um, yeah. Dan Fisher there's just people that like have been respectable from day one who never went for the like easy sponsorships that other women probably have gotten and they've just been good at poker and in the community for so long. Like there's people like that. I I aspire to be like that. Um, Just like kind of quietly doing things the right way, hopefully um, and helping more women get in. But yeah, it's been really nice lately. We had 6% of the 10 K at the uh, win world championship be women. That that's like more than I even thought would because we usually get 4% for WSOP and somehow 6% got into that 10K. I'm like, let's go. I had simultaneously had the reaction of like, holy shit, 10%, or sorry, 6%. And then I was like, 6%. Like, it's still, yeah. you know, it's, just, it's so far from where it should be. But, hey, so I, mean, I just want to see progress. Like, yeah, I, you, I know you, it's you like a long road. The progress, but yeah. yeah. And then also part of me that's like sad that that's the progress. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say it's a 10k, so that's also part of the problem. But mm-hmm. then if you compare it to the main, that's also a 10k. So yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Hey, but that's the uh 50% um growth rate so far from yep. four to six. Yep. <laughs> you gotta look at it, you gotta look yeah, at we'll it. Just do the, that the every year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we gotta do better than 50 cent every 50 percent every year, though. Otherwise, it would take way too long to get yeah. to where it needs to be. But um Let's let's increase that amount. Let's do seventy five percent next time. Okay. But. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. It's always great talking to you, and you uh, keep up the good work. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. Have a good night. Of a car, my light of the fair passage of a bill.